All right, welcome to the 55-1 podcast. My name is Wes Berdine, and I'm joined by not one, but two rooters. Uh, I'll start with the guest rooter, Jake Rooter. Uh, Hi welcome. There. How Thank are you? I'm, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. You are the older of the, the rooters? I am. Yeah, um, older and wiser, or so they say. Uh, and then we, we've got, of course, Jeff Rooter. This I, is really going to be an ear test for you this I, week. Every, I, not just the listener, but you, Wes. And I, I actually called Jeff Jake at the end of last podcast. I was doing my edits and listening through and going, I just said Jake right there. That so, was a bit like the uh, like a post-credit scene in a Marvel movie. Yeah. Just leaking who the next guest would yeah, be. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, he, we'll do with what we can. I'll, I'll just call you just basically the hey, same Ruder, name. Hey, what's your I, opinion? I don't know. Yeah. And you guys can just deal with that. And then the audience at home, you guys can figure this out. But... Um, well, we'll talk about why you're here eventually, Jake. Uh, but w what I'm I'm kind of curious before we get into that, what, where where your love of soccer or it, when that developed? When in your did life? it develop? Well, I think like a lot of people, it sort of came out of falling in love with the FIFA video game. Uh, really came to enjoy it. Played soccer as a kid. Uh, I was out of the. I was on a canoe trip in Canada during the 2006 World Cup, and so. I remember feeling really bummed that I missed it and disappointed and looking for more. And that's when I started to follow the U.S. national team. And then I lived in Portland in the run-up to the Timbers expansion season. So the hype surrounding that, all of that being drummed up, really pulled me into MLS. And I've been hooked ever since. Drinking with Amos, Amos McGee. Oh, every day. You know, it's actually it's something that he didn't want to talk about. But when he was 17, he was also seen as the potential next solution for the American left-back problem. Were you a left back? I was. Oh wow! Yeah, That's, mostly well. because I might have been the only kid who admitted to being left-footed or okay. something. Yeah, uh, but uh, I re I really took hold of that role and owned it. A little more of a defensive focus. Oh, he wasn't someone. I bombing. never made it past midfield. No, he wasn't a wing back by any stretch. <laughs> not not fitness related at all. Well, um, Jake, you're you're not you're not technically a, a regular writer of fifty five one, but we did bring you on. Uh, to write for um, for the upcoming kind of expansion draft previews. And so we will be talking about the expansion draft uh, that's going to be December 13th. So we're kind of, mm -hmm. we're well ahead of things. Um, but on this week's show, we've got a Krautwatt Rock revival as Clinzy gets conned. ProRail goes infographic and the loons had better love toffee and chocolate because they're getting a heath. We'll start off with some music from Big Quarters, and then we'll come back and do some good, the bad, and the weird. Welcome back to the 55-1 podcast. Double rooter time. Uh, Jake, this is going to be your first good, the bad, and the weird. Yes. Um, but let's start with the good, which is obviously the big, the big news. That broke just today. Thank God it broke today, not tomorrow, so this podcast is still relevant. Baggio Husidic is retiring. That's it. It's big. <laughs> we're gonna it's we're devoting all all fifty minutes to Husidic. Um the Husidic hour. Um who wants to talk about this? Jurgen Klinsman got, got canned and um and Bruce Arena likely is coming in. Do you have can we add anything about Klinsman? Does it I uh I don't have a whole lot to add about Klinsman. Uh, I listened to you on Soccer Today, Wes. Oh, the Soccer Today. Yeah, Soccer Today, the Canadian show. Yeah, yeah, sort of talking about the general sense of apathy that you had started to feel about the national team, and that's something I can really uh, commiserate in. I didn't really watch much. I watched the U.S.-Mexico game as much for just the circumstance as I did for the match itself. Um didn't really watch the Copa America. It's just been weird. It feels like it's been going on without much of a purpose and no clear direction, and that the writing was on the wall as far as I'm concerned. And there's no better way to reinvigorate the passion in the bedroom between the U.S. soccer fan and their team than bringing in Bruce Arena, am I right? I mean, uh. <laughs> he, he is he is the most successful U.S. in terms of how far he's gotten us in a World Cup. Yeah. Um, I love Bruce Arena for... Just basically how honey badger he is, just like just don't give a fuck. Um, journalists will ask him questions and he'll totally just dick with them. 
I, I'm, I'm going to be honest. So the 2002 World Cup um, was uh, in the middle of the night, and I was working at 4 a.m. every morning. So I missed mm-hmm. that entire uh, tournament. So I don't remember as much about how well they played during that period. Um, but I do think that there's no, literally no better person to take you through eight games in the hex and then a World Cup. He's not He's not going to reinvent anything. He'll put to, out a good team. It'll likely not change too much, right? I mean, he's right. not going to... Mm-hmm. Maybe he'll bring in someone like uh, a Benny Falheiber or someone someone or who Dax knows... Dax McCarty. Yeah. Oh, we Bonus have the, round. Yep, the, the laser beam uh, heat machine just turned on. Called a furnace, but in this house it's called a laser beam heat machine. Um yeah, anyway, sorry, I lost my train of thought. Um, it's Bruce not- Arena is not going to bring in these crazy, crazy, uh, weird players. He's not going to take a lot of risks, which maybe is a good thing or a bad thing. But We're not going to play a three-five-two or a three-four-three centered around an 18-year-old playing out of position no. in a World Cup qualifier. It's great because his bread and butter formation is a four-four-two, which had been what the U.S. had been having the most success with during the Copa and then the end of the previous round of cup qualifiers so it's actually not going to be a stretch as far as getting the right personnel it does mean that someone like Fellhaber, like you said or a Dax McCarty they're going to be relied on which I think is fantastic he's played against Kellen Acosta enough to realize he's not a left back so you're not going to see weird shit like that anymore which is really nice my question is then you know I think you're right I think that Bruce is absolutely the right call for an eight game remainder of the hex and then hopefully a world cup after that if he makes it even to the group stage in this debacle, do you bring him on for the next cycle? No, I think that's no. not even part of the plan. I think right now, they the <clears throat> nice thing is they can spend two years looking for that person, doing you know speaking to people, etc., and come up with the next plan. Because Klinsman has done things to help reshape the structure, doing in his technical role that hopefully will carry through and then you can come with the next person who's going to tweak that and do do whatever they they can but yeah i would second that jake do you have any i think this is nothing but good news for alan gordon and his future with the national team and that makes me oh gosh for do you think we're gonna see another landon donovan cap um let's i mean I, I would not, I, yeah, I actually, I, actually I would say 51%, I would say yes. Yeah, like suddenly um, that's in play again. It's fantastic. Soccer Primes asks on Twitter, who should coach the U.S. men's national team? Uh, my first answer is just going to be whoever does well in this year's MLS Cup, because that happens every year. Oh, it should be Peter Vermees. Oh, it should be, oh my God, it just gets, Jason Christ. Jason Christ was our wonder boy, and then, yeah. Oh, it turns out maybe Oscar you should see him. Maybe he should be older than twenty-three when you. Anyway, so who do you have? Do you have uh, I've, there are a lot of people clamoring for Oscar Pereja. I think he'd be fine as a tech director. I, I just I haven't seen enough with Dallas on the field. His I mean his development of FC Dallas is the best that any technical director um, or academy builder has done in the United States in the last twenty years. So of course, but for a head coach. I mean, the U.S. national team head coach job should be like a top 10 global job if you're a manager looking at it. Between yeah. the, the facilities available, the pure number of people in this country. How hard it is to get fired. How hard it is to get fired. This is like, what, the first time someone's got fired in mid-cycle? Yeah, basically there's like age? three people who will complain about your job and everyone else will just lob softballs. At, I mean, yeah. Like None people will the- be like, Steve Sampson didn't quite meet expectations in 98, and that's a harsh criticism. Right, right. So it should be a dream job. I don't know if I necessarily have the right name for it. Fabio Capello. <laughs> right. Sven Jorna yeah, Erickson. Sven up to you. Uh, Avram Grant. We got to get him another shout. Oof. Big Sam. Um, AVB. Do you have a know. serious one, though? Uh I didn't know if you had like not a, yet. Okay. Louis Van Gaal four years ago maybe, but he's too close to retirement where I don't think I'd want to mess with that. But on the field, he gives a good result. I'd say Jesse Marsh, uh, just given what he's been able to piece together with a Red Bulls squad that has some parts that are not really glowing. But MLS is such a weird league. It's so nothing like nas- the national team. That I agree, Jesse yeah. Marsh. I have I have regular. Sexy dreams about Jesse March, <laughs> but 
I, I, I'm just not. I don't know. How about this? What if I told you there might be a Premier League manager who will be available in a year and a half? I say that we just keep lobbing it back and forth between Bob Bradley and Bruce Arena for the next 20 years. And just, see what could go wrong. Just thumb wrestling. Yep, thumb uh, wrestling. Let's move on to the bad, which is uh, basically that there's been no soccer. We've just, well, I mean, we, there's been U.S. soccer, but I didn't, I, as I said last week, I didn't watch the Costa Rica match. Um, I watched some Bundesliga this weekend. Yeah, was it any good? Uh, the Der Klassiker was okay. good. Uh, whatever I watched the next day, Werder Bremen and, oh, Timmy Chandler. Yeah. And Eintracht. It was, it was Good Did you find yourself background. cheering against him? Uh, <laughs> By the way, Timmy Chandler's never getting called no, up he's again. Done. Yeah, Timmy Chandler it. looked twice the player with his club that he did with the U.S. Ain't that the truth? Yeah, that's always been his knock, hasn't it? Yeah, there's too many torches near the near in in Concacaf, and Frankenstein doesn't like fire. So, right. uh-uh. um, yeah, t- it, it, I don't know. If Speaking of fires else. and dumpster fires, the other bad would be the Fort Lauderdale Strikers. Um, a story that's near and dear to the 55-1 heart. Um, yeah, this is a, a story I wrote about on Friday. I was done. We, we were So this is a story way back in May, June, that Jeff, you and Brian Korstad in particular um, championed, uh, which was breaking the news about how you know Fort Lauderdale is not paying their players on time, etc. Um, after that, we, we largely dropped it, mostly because then other people started to write about it. And um, <clears throat> it's not really news again if uh, you know they're not paying their players again. So there was another thing over the summer that happened, um, and I just I didn't want to write about it. And then people started reaching out again who weren't getting paid, who yep. didn't have health insurance for the last two months. And I kind of got pissed off because the, the, the tone to me was like, is there anything you can do about this? And I was just like, no. I'm a who the fuck gives a gives a rat's ass what I say, what I tippy tap. You know, a few people. Um, but and that just made me angry. That where the hell are all these national writers who they're all writing their F, their third FC Cincinnati article of of the year and nothing about the fact that you have Rio Fort Lauderdale. No one's written about the Austin Aztecs. Um, all, all these things, Wilmington self-relegating. It it just Harrisburg's it, on the Fritz too. Yeah, it yeah. it just really annoys the crap out of me that there's just no one. Like this is an interesting story. It is, but I think this is just this taps into a, a major inferiority complex that goes on in a lot of different facets of American soccer. You know, it's we don't want to. We're still trying to clamor and say that we have a top ten, top twelve global league. We don't have that yet with MLS. And then you're trying to say, okay, one thing that's going to help push that is that we have second and third divisions that are sustainable either as entertainment leagues or developmental leagues. And right now we have a developmental league in USL, I would say, but that's because of the MLS partnership and NASL isn't that but we don't want to admit that and the more time you spend on that you then suddenly the sport of the future hype is is dead and so i think that's a big part of it isn't it sure but i would also say that and i i have there's like basically the list of 20 men who are the national writers right all the big stories come through them they're all doing great jobs but I don't think that they're necessarily trying to push the sport of the future thing. Maybe their editors want them or are driving them a certain way. Um, I just don't think they give a shit. I think that they don't honestly care. And that really bums me out. That um, I don't know. So the story is, I'm sorry, last Friday, writing about Fort Lauderdale players who uh, uh, basically have been paid by the league since September... The league was propping them up because they didn't want the Fort Lauderdale Strikers to fall apart mid-season. And so they paid them up until the end of the season, and then they stopped paying them. They haven't had health insurance until since the end of September. Fort Lauderdale Strikers are trying to sell them themselves, and so that's why everyone just seems to be just turning a blind eye, hoping they can sell it. It's such a freaking tire fire. I want it to just die out, and I want all those people who are trying to get money out of that team... 
and insurance out of that team. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I mean the 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 owners. Oh yeah. Who want to recoup yeah. some of their losses? That's like awful. screw you. You're right. Yeah, um, and there are guys like Louis uh, Kukati, who's the managing director, who has not taken a paycheck since he started there. <clears throat> so I, I do, you know, it's not like they're all evil people wringing money out of this, but they have just driven a major lower league team into the dirt, and it just pisses me off. Any fond memories of the <laughs> Fort Lauderdale Strikers, Jake? No fond memories. I do wonder, though, if this, if some of the sort of turning a blind eye is just a reflection of how often this has happened in soccer in the United States in the last decade and how sadly common of a story this is. We almost had it here in Minnesota. It seems like we see it every every year. There's a couple new teams that pop up that are on the brink or but getting it is, saved. It is a story that people want to read about. And it's a story that Part of the reasons I'm I'm bummed is that there's a certain limitation of what I'm uh, and our writers are able to accomplish, how far we can dig with sources, how well connected we are, that other people, I think that some of them could could get a much better story. They could they could take what we had written and they could have gone way further, um, and it just they it's not there. And people want to read that. Lots of people read those Fort Lauderdale articles, and yeah. so I don't know. It just it it annoys the crap out of well, me. Well, let's get weird while yeah. we talk about the lower divisions. Speaking of, yeah, yeah, let's talk about the Deloitte report. So we had been told that Ricardo Silva, the majority owner or full owner, owner, yeah, owner, okay, of Miami FC, <laughs> playing legend, whatever, had gotten a British company to analyze whether or not pro-rel promotion relegation was a good idea for U.S. soccer, whether the timing was right, whether the pieces were in place, anything like that. And everyone was excited, thinking that would be the big news of Monday, that there would be this detailed, analyzed report from a statistics-creating group who would be able to sift through all of the muck and look and say, pro-rel is ready Get ready, Ted and Ben. Here or, you go. Or just just that it that it would provide more nuance to the argument, or an outside approach. Yeah, yeah. Or a or a pathway, or something that would be convincing, right? And what did we get instead? We got basically, uh, I think it's like seven pages total, seven PDF pages. We got some infographics. Um, you had a survey of a thousand people that no one knows. What kind of survey? Where did you get these people? Yeah. Do they represent? Uh, do you have? Is it all thousand people happen to be at a bar or something like that? So we got nothing. Alex Schieferdecker wrote about it for for the website, and basically just said it's it's useless. There, there's nothing here. We we were hoping you'd you'd give us something, and you gave us a, a shitty version, a, a, a like sixth grade book report. Of the book that we wrote our dissertation on. Yeah. It's a rehash of of the more uh, civil discussions about promotion and relegation that have been happening in the United States for years. Uh, I would recommend, if you have the time, listening to Neil Morris's interview with one of, I forget the person's name from Deloitte, who he interviewed about the report. Uh, it's well worth a listen. Um, and what I took away from that was there's... This consistent um, idea that the owners of clubs in the United States should, and Canada for that matter, should just do this based on sporting merit. That, oh well, so if you tell them that 90% of the clubs won't get relegated, but 10% will, every owner will take that bargain and say, oh yeah, well we're not going to be one of the 10% that get relegated. And I just don't think that that necessarily holds water in uh, in. North America, where you have four other professional sports to compete with, you have a whole host of collegiate, high-profile collegiate sports, uh, and you also have this propensity for people who, oh, the Timberwolves have been bad for 10 years, I'm just going to be a fan of the Lakers, or the Cavaliers, or the Thunder. People don't have that sort of connection, I don't think, in the United States to their sports teams that people do in a lot of other parts of the world. Yeah, I am... I. I love Neil Morris's podcast. I couldn't finish that one. That guy was so boring. 
I tried twice to listen to it. I was like, I'm going to die. So I'm just going to turn this off and go on and, and live my life fully to, to the max. So, um, and that's no offense to Neil. Neil did his best, but he was interviewing a pillow. If you, um, if you don't want to look at the page of infographics yeah. and just want somebody to read it to you twice, yeah, yeah. it's a good way to do it. It is funny, though. I was talking with Sheaf about the infographics, and he, he said that there's a... a website that he uses to create infographics because he's also going he's working on his uh, secondary degree um for uh planning as well isn't he and uh there's a certain website that he uses to get all of his infographic like little icons and they just they totally just copy pasted it from this free website yeah which is great so you can't even say that they put the capital <coughs> into it so uh yeah take that. It, it, it's i mean there are for those of us who have been obsessed with soccer for some time now American soccer involved we've all had good conversations drunken or not about pro rel right i we are all a good portion of us are very versed in in, in it and thinking about it and actually i would say most most people i i encounter media non media are all like yeah sure show us the way that it could happen you know, this, this is a, yeah. of course it's a good idea. It's a fun thing. Yeah. I mean, but how can it happen? And this did none of that. Mm-hmm. And, and one of the things that, you know, one of the defenses that people who talk about MLS and, and are a little more hesitant of pro well will say is that look at all these investments, you know, Bill McGuire's spending a hundred, he and his owners are spending a hundred million dollars so that they can get into MLS. They're not going to give up on that. It's a little bit of bullshit, right? Because Bill McGuire's not writing... LAFC actually are writing a check. Bill McGuire's not <laughs> writing a check. Most of these guys are saying, we'll give you an extra cut of our gates or whatever. So they are they are losing, investing money. But if, if next year you went and said, all right, now we're going to have Pro-Rel, Bill McGuire's not out that much money. I'm going to be honest. Yeah. Doesn't mean that they're not... They don't have investments to protect and that they made these investments under the good faith that this was the system they were buying into. Yeah. I do think that as, as little sympathy as I have for billionaires, uh, the fact is we need billionaires in modern soccer. No doubt. So until someone fixes that part, I don't know. Maybe Chuck Blazer can fix it for us all. Uh, let's go ahead and let's take a break here. Uh, when we come back, we're going to go ahead and look at the Amos McGee edition and see what that says about Minnesota United as they gear up for the rest of their offseason, including a take that I have and a sharp observation that I made about the four MLS semifinalists and what they have in common that Minnesota United should strive to have. Uh, so stick around. We'll do that and some Twitter questions when we come back. Welcome back to the 55-1 Podcast. I'm Jeff Reuter. Across from me, rubbing his bald head, as always when I do these introductions, is Wes Berdine, and to my right is my older brother, Jake Reuter. So we are going to be talking about Minnesota United here, as usual, in our second segment. We had some concrete news for United that we'll, we'll cover briefly, and then we had a, a total 180 in 24 hours um, on the head coaching decision that we could probably spend a little time talking about, too. Um, so let's start with the concrete. Let's let's do that, and it's it's not any petty news either. It's uh, Amos McGee is coming back to Minnesota, former Thunder player, former Thunder coach. He is back after some time studying abroad in Portland and in Washington D.C., and he's returning home to Mama's sweet cooking to come back to Minnesota United and MLS. Moving back into the basement. Actually, I think he is living with his parents right now. <laughs> That's awesome. I see because it's met before until he moves the whole family back. Um, yeah, so Amos McGee is announced as the director of player personnel, which essentially means he's the person helping implement the vision for uh, first team, reserves team, academy of what kind of players we want to be bringing in and acquisition, planning things, doing the mechanisms to find them, skep- scouting, um, and he is joining, so he and he will be Manny's right-hand man in, in that Um and it's not the mo- the sexiest of announcements. It's literally the only announcement we've had post season. Um, but at least it's which something. is mind blowing. It is. But we'll get into absolutely mind blowing. We've yeah we will we will we've been into it. We will st- you can't. We're stop. what 
46 years after breaking that uh, Davis and Venegas would be the first player signed, right? 47 yeah. years? I think, yeah. I think they're pensioners now. They're both, <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're both grandparents. Uh, and, yeah, I mean, their Kevin, children Kevin got never married. really settled down. No, but. Kevin didn't. But their children, interestingly enough, Justin's son and Kevin's daughter got married and had a kid, and that kid is Jack Blake. Whoa. He's, wow. wow. This, this got got really looper in here take that um yeah so i don't know if you guys have any any thoughts on this amos mcgee signing but i wrote an article i wrote two different articles one for uh, mlssoccer.com that people can go check out that just talked about basically how they know that they've got a month before the expansion draft and they have to kick it into gear there's also the angle that i wrote about for 55.1 which is here's this guy who's kind of a legend Although most current fans don't, I never saw him play. Um, most current fans don't know much about him. <clears throat> and he's coming back and he's learned the dark arts at Portland, at uh, DC United. He's, he's uh, worked under Gavin and um, Caleb and John Spencer out at Portland and now underneath uh, um, in working with Benny Ball in DC. Um, I don't know which of those angles are, are interesting to you. I think dark arts is a good way to put it. Uh, a lot of what I look at in... It's going to die at the end of the book, then. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, <laughs> Spoiler. Wishing you the best, Amos. Uh, a lot of what I... When I look at DC and I look at Portland, uh, when they've been successful, they've been able to identify players who somehow slipped through the cracks somewhere, who fit a purpose in their setup, uh, who aren't breaking the bank... And I think that really meshes with what we've heard Minnesota's philosophy will be. Can I ask a question? Um, sure. I'm pretty sure that Minnesota is Ravenclaw. DC United would probably be Gryffindor. Oh. Portland Port- Timbers are Slytherin. Slytherin, yeah. Yeah, and what's the Hufflepuff of are MLS? Are they, though? I, this, this is just my disdain for Caleb Porter talking. Sorry, it's also the fact that they're green, so it's a lazy, yeah. easy comparison. I mean... You lived in Portland, I don't know, defend your former city sharer. Hufflepuff is Colorado Rapids, by the way. Yeah. That's pretty or good. Real Salt Lake, you know. Real Salt Lake, definitely. You can't hate Real Salt yeah, Lake. Yeah, I mean, and they're just like, oh, Yeah. You're cute. They play nice. Cedric Diggory over there. Um, Joe Plata is 5'2". Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ha- Seattle has to be Slytherin if we're assigning Well, classes. I'm just... Yeah, right. But, I'm just, of these of these ones, okay. Yeah. I, we can go back to Amos McGee. I just wanted to take... You just there. saw the new Harry Potter movie, didn't you? Yeah, I just saw the new Harry Potter movie last Got night. It. Fresh so, on the mind. Yeah, yeah. We're going we're gonna to be talking about that all, all episode long. <laughs> um, yeah, so his, I'm sorry, the dark arts. Uh, and... One of the things he he talked about certain deals that that he that they did you know he he wasn't doing but was he was a part of and one of them was very entertainingly they traded away their top expansion pick do you know who they're at Portland do you know who their Dax McCarty because I watched it happen on whatever website was tracking the expansion they picked Dax McCarty and then traded him away for Rodney Wallace and he kind of brought he brought this up and he was like you know Rodney Wallace just helped us uh, win. An MLS Cup, and Dax McCarty's doing pretty well. So we can, and he was like, kind of like, <laughs> you can, you can argue uh, about who whether that was a good decision. And the answer is, it was a bad decision. It was a bad yeah. decision, yeah. But you know, Rodney Wallace probably at that point looked like he had a higher ceiling, mm-hmm. and Dax McCarty was a better version of Jack Jewsbury, who was a starter on the MLS Cup winner. Yes. So it just would have yeah. basically he's saying that we made it a more entertaining, more difficult road. By trading away Dax McCarty. Yeah. So you're welcome, Portland Timbers fans. Yeah. Every single one of you. But I think what the work at DC United has been far more impressive. Um, uh, he talks specifically, he came in after the 2013 year when they were absolute shit. Worst team in history of MLS. Yep. And they rebooted, as he called it. And I think that the players that they brought in and the way that they've been able to do I think what Minnesota United is going to be doing right? I mean, doing a um, uh, wanting to play soccer, but at the same time not splurging on uh, big money players. Trying to find pl- people like uh, Lucia Acosta. Mm-hmm. Is that Lucia? Lucia? Luciano. Luci- okay. Luciano. Yeah. Anyway, 
Yeah. Sorry. And then, I mean, he also was a part of the development of Darlington Nagby, and that concludes today's Nagby Nugget, um, which we haven't been good about yet. Ding. But you know what? If Jurgen is gone, maybe we'll have more Nagby Nuggets in the future with Bruce. Mm. Tasty. Just maybe. Um, and then let's move on to something very not concrete, but concrete. Yeah. A- which is Adrian Heath as yeah. the head coach. Um, we actually had, I say we, yeah, we had a, a major 180 thrown at us on Wednesday morning. Um, I actually got, there were some pretty confident people that Gio Savarisi was going to be the head coach for United. And we had about 30 million rumors come our way within 48 hours. Yeah. Um, and, and so the whole time we had, that's why we had never really, um, committed to Geo. We never wrote an article cause it was never quite sure, but it looked like it was going that way. And he was flown in and that was part of it. I mean, this whole process, yes, the reason there was a delay in naming a head coach was that the Cosmos were still in the playoffs. They won. Whoop-de-doo. Geo flew in, had an interview with Minnesota. And then the Cosmos called up Minnesota at some point and said, Hey, I know you want Geo. Let's work out a buyout fee or like basically a transfer fee um, to end his contract with the Cosmos. And that number was much more than Minnesota wanted to pay for their second choice coach. Yeah, and I, I, that's the other point. What's become clear to me now talking to people is that it wasn't Geo's our number one. We're too cheap to go with Geo. It was um, it was down to Geo and Heath. Um, there's always been other people who are around, but it seems like they were they were pretty much the top two, and Heath was the number one. And the reasoning is um, Heath had a very good time. In his for, uh, as an expansion time, uh, team with Orlando, one of the one of the best expansions, one of the better, I would mm-hmm. say, because it still wasn't the best. But one of um, yeah, they almost made the playoffs. They were actually pretty decent looking. He had a lot of things going against him. Whenever he dropped Kaká, the owner would call him up and say, "What the hell are you doing?" Um, and then, uh, you know, a, a few other things like his staff being fired out from under him after his first season. And I think that um, one of the one of the things that uh, I've, as talking to people, one of the things I've started to think about is that um, Heath. If you compare Heath to Siggy, right? I think I said this on the on the Soccer Today podcast. But if you compare Heath to Siggy Schmidt, um, Siggy Schmidt, if he screws up his first year, he's going to LF, LAFC next year, or he's going. He's got a job. Adrian Heath uh, is angry that he failed in Orlando. I think he would view it as a failure. And um, and I think he's got unfinished business and he still needs to prove himself. And I think that he's also going to, I think that he's going to embrace this job and us a lot more. Uh, the fans, the community, uh, the players, etc. Well, stripping away the narrative and then looking at the on-field product, uh, Jake and I share an MLS Live login, as siblings do. Um, and you've actually taken some time to watch some early 2016 Orlando City before. Are you like checking out fired. his habits? Or Just like... to see. No, he oh. told he told me about okay. this. I You're was like, oh, what is what is Jake looking at today? <laughs> Try, oh, interesting. I'm taking a look at Adrian Heath's habits and trying to tell how much he sweats on the sideline in Orlando. And so let's go break this into two. One, how sweaty? Really sweaty. Really sweaty. So Minnesota is going to be a great change of pace for him. And two, as he's spending less time sweating and more time looking at what's going on in the field. What did you see? I think you watched what was against the fire. Well, yeah. So I finally had the courage to turn my mic on after weeping about Geo not being the head coach. It's it's been a tough. Yeah, you were really on the, the Geo train for me. Yeah, yeah. guys. Uh, <laughs> I I think Orlando plays or played under Heath and probably still will under Jason Christ. They play an entertaining brand of soccer. It's it's high press, it's high energy, it's athletic. Uh, it's a lot of things that people who enjoy watching Barcelona kick the ball around aren't probably going to like too much, but it's I think it's successful in MLS. Uh, the point haul that Heath had in his first year with Orlando would have had him in the playoffs this year in the Eastern Conference. And they're not apples-to-apples apples comparisons necessarily, but uh, this isn't like a 
oh, we've just dredged the bottom of the barrel, and now we have a head coach. Um, I think he matches up well. Jeff wrote about how he uses his fullbacks. Uh, I'm not convinced that Kevin Menegas is going to be our starting right back, but I think Justin Davis will be our starting left back, and I think... That is unless Breck Shea comes to town. That is who... (laughs) (laughs) So I've... I've watched, I think, two Orlando City games. One, Breck hit an absolute screamer uh, that went far top post from the corner of the D on a volley. And it was amazing. I just about lost my mind. And then the next game I watched, he picked up a second yellow in about 10 minutes and he's ejected. So <laughs> that's, that's literally Breck Shea's career. It's, I think it's <laughs> in indicative of more yeah. than his career yeah yeah so yeah i did write about heath's style his history whatever i mean obviously inchy which is his nickname that we're going to learn to love for his stature when he was a striker for everton primarily everton well that's what it's it's referring to wink and um roll with it he was a little hesitant actually to come to the u.s and then he went over to the austin aztecs uh, the first incarnation second whoever knows how many incarnations Most austin aztecs references you will probably ever have. I was born in Austin, so well, Ooh, hey, we can challenge I'll, I'll refer this. Refer to it, all right, a lot. Good. Huh. Uh, that reminds me. I, I could see. That. I should call Jordan Buholtz and, and get his his read of of Heath. You know, there's two people laughing at that reference, probably who understood. Jordan, I'm just saying. No, I was. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Jordan was Jordan. the GM of Austin Aztecs. Was, I forgot that he was with Austin, and then and That's then right. he came back to Minnesota and was our GM. Sorry, so. I thought you said Jordan someone, and I was like, oh, this is an obscure Austin hipster no, reference. No, no, I got no, nothing from the music sorry. scene. Anyway, keep, anyway, go back. Uh, Heath played with Everton among other clubs, and then he met with Austin, then Orlando City's owner, at a pub, and they talked about U.S. soccer, and Adrian was like. All right. And then I guess his wife sold him on the idea. He came over. Uh, They went over to Orlando City. And since he took over Orlando City in 2011, and I know that there's some development that one coach does, and some of it is accumulation of whatever you have, yada, yada, yada. But he has been a major part of the developments of Dom Dwyer when he was on loan there and went on his first and most prolific goal scoring spree when he was in Orlando. It was the first time he's finally a goal scorer in the U.S., Kyle Lahren, when he was a rookie coming out of college, he was on and off the field for the first four games, and then he became an absolute dynamo in the league and set the MLS rookie record. And then most notably, Kevin Molino, who is a very raw athlete coming out of Trinidad and Tobago, who then came to Orlando City, became the USL MVP, and became one of Kaká's favorite teammates, and ultimately became a finalist for Comeback Player of the Year this year. He has a good track record with attacking players and developing them into quality attackers. And I think this is most important because we have the first pick, and the consensus first pick is a striker it's, who would yeah. do mighty fine under Adrian Heath. It would be say. Mm-hmm. And that, that's that's the thing. I mean, previously to the, the Heath uh, announcement, I was thinking um, they should trade this away and get a starter. Um, but now that Heath's there, the question is, will he try to strike gold again, right? Um, and now now it's, I think, a little bit more of a question mark of, of what he can get there. Um, if Gio is the head coach, I and this is no slight on Gio, I think I'm more willing to trade the first pick because his teams are much more midfield and defense-based than striker-based. Yeah. But... Looking at Adrian Heath's formations, and especially, I mean, Kyle Lahren, obviously, what he could do, but Dom Dwyer and a couple of these other guys, yeah, I want to see what he can do with Jeremy. So, we're not going to hear about this for a while. <laughs> and I, I, I think, I mean, we knew, I, I said this last week when this news started to break. You're not going to break, uh, I think someone asked us a Twitter question about this. Uh, Jezza Penguin asks, what is preventing Heath, uh, uh, the official announcement from Minnesota United? I mean, first of all, never ask why there's no comment from Minnesota United. But the real thing is that you don't want to break something as big as this the week of Thanksgiving, right? People are already on vacation starting tomorrow, but, uh, you know, whenever. And uh, good thing they didn't try to announce it today because it would have just disappeared into the ether right yeah so they'll wait (coughs) wait until after thanksgiving 
and then they'll they'll do that. This makes it even more head scratching why they didn't just can announce Justin Davis and Venegas two weeks ago. Just have them out there so that you can have at least some sort of narrative to help you drive some ticket sales. It's crazy. Um, and we will start to hear player signings around that, that stuff. I think that I don't have any particular specific, it's all really up in the ether, but I know that things will start to co coagulate then. But I am also told that it won't be like, Heath has announced December 1st or something, and we have 10 players that announced that week. It's not going to be floodgates. Um, but January 23rd is when players report. That's the beginning of training camp. Yeah. So we will start to have, by the end of December, we will have something of, of a squad. And then, of course, you can always bring in people train train with you, et cetera. No doubt. Uh, I, I teased this before the break, but there's one thing. So I was looking over the four teams that are left in the MLS Cup playoffs. You have Toronto FC, you have Montreal Impact, you have Seattle Sounders, and you have Colorado Rapids. And all four of them have something in common, something that's really impressive in common that I think Minnesota United should really strive to get for 2017. Players on their team. I think you're right. I think that... Uh, <laughs> It's not going to be suddenly Adrian Heath's press conference comes out and instead of cheerleaders, instead of all of these babes who are going to be at a Miami FC game, it's not going to be these 25 like starting caliber players who are walking out as Adrian Heath's roadies. You're not going to see that. But I do think that you might see a couple of players who really appreciated playing for Heath in Orlando, and they're not going to be the flashiest names. They're going to be Eric Gehrig, you know, that type of player. But that's a type of player who has a spot on an MLS squad. And so I, I don't think those would necessarily be announced right away either, but things will finally start to be announced much quicker once you have a head coach announced too. Yeah, and I so I want to move on on from this and start talking about the expansion draft a little bit because... Last week, uh, we had Alex Schieferdecker on to talk about the Defenders, and then I finally got around to writing my piece on Friday, which you can go check out on 55.1. Um, just go look for the expansion draft cometh. Uh, so right this week already, or last week, you have de Defenders and Goalkeepers. This week, we're going to get midfielders and forwards, and that's why you are here, Jake. Uh, Jeff, you're here just because you live in my basement. Basically. Um I want to know. I want previews because you you don't. We, these articles will come up this week, so people have things to read over Thanksgiving break. You're welcome, people. Well, let's do yeah. Let's do a quick recap of the goalkeeper piece, um, which is pretty straightforward. There's like one or two techniques of goalkeepers, so we don't have to go over necessarily why you're choosing what, what they do differently than other goalkeepers. But who are the one or two, maybe three goalkeepers that you think might be available that could be starters or? Um, should we get a starting goalkeeper in an expansion draft at all? Yeah, I mean, the three that really pop out to me are Jeff Atnella from Real Salt Lake, who will not be available because I think they will be one of the few teams that protects two goalkeepers. You've got um, Ryan Mira, um, who is from the New York Red Bulls. And then you've got uh, Zach McMath. I'm not sure if Colorado Rapids give up Zach McMath. I think that he'd be really good. I think Ryan Mira is the best of that crop, uh, and I think that um, he though that New York Red Bulls are not going to protect him. So Ryan Mira is my pick, I, and I think that in the expansion draft, Ryan Mira, if he's up, Ryan Mira should be your first pick. Um, and so that's kind of my hope. That's that's. I don't know if you had any thoughts following up on that, but given what. Real Salt Lake has done this offseason, letting Javi Morales walk, letting Hamasin Olave walk. Uh, I think it's almost a certainty that they protect Nick Romando. The question then is, are there enough players on the rest of their squad to fill out 11 spots without protecting Atanella? I'm not certain that there are. Uh, as we... so. When we did this, we went through every team's roster and protected 11 players. And there are a couple teams. It's tough. And credit, by the way, should go where credit is due. The actual initiator of this entire idea of protecting on every single team's roster is you, Jake. So Thank you, Jake. Thank You're you, the Jake. reason we're Which, 
tells you that I was bored some week. Can, can I ask you what team? Well, you're watching old fucking Orlando City <laughs> matches. Well, of I'm course you're on bored. my spin bike. Yeah. Okay. All right. So yeah. there, there you go. <laughs> um, I, I had to get the spin cycle. Um, I am curious which team was the hardest to figure out who to protect. The hardest team to figure out for me is New York Red Bulls because they have a lot of homegrown players who have played on their first team, which. But homegrown are protected. If, if I, if I am interpreting the rules correctly, if a homegrown player has been part of the first team, yeah. If they're so, what it they is have to be protected. Here are the the general rules for the automatic protection, which is a part of this. Designated players are not a part of this. You do have to use one of your eleven spots to protect a designated player if you want to. That's a pretty common misconception. As far as the generation Adidas players, so the players who leave college early and get these um, GA contracts, they have to graduate. And so they're announced every year. It'll be these are the seven or eight or 20 players, including two who aren't in MLS inevitably, who have graduated from Generation Adidas and now need one of the 11 protection slots. Damian. If you have a Generation Adidas guy who falls in this category, you don't have to waste one of your 11. Right. So a that'd be like the last year or two. So, so like what the Kyle Aarons, whatever. Yeah. Um, the homegrown players, if they're on the provisional roster... Then yes, they are um, automatically protected. If they're on your full roster, then they do need one of the protected slots. The hard part is that those profes- those provisional rosters are pretty hard to find. Oh, so if it's somebody who like Derek Etienne, uh, the Haitian winger for New York Red Bulls, who's seventeen and looks to be great, or like a, a Paxton, what's his last Pomical. name? Pomical. Uh Thank you. Um, yeah. For FC Dallas. Uh, these players, I mean, they have been signed from the Youth Academy, but they haven't been on the full roster, so they're going to be automatically protected by this. So Interesting. Okay. Paxton Pomade. Did so, I say that right? Yeah. So New product. York Red Bulls have a lot of guys who are homegrown, but they are probably they look like they're probably on the first team roster. And- well, yeah, they've played this year. So somebody like Sean Davis, Alex Mule, players who fall into... That class where maybe they played part of the season with New York Red Bulls too, played part of the season with the Red Bulls because half their team was hurt this summer. Uh, so then you start trying to make guesses based yeah, on salaries, like age, international slots, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Uh, so then midfield's a little more, no offense, yeah. is a little bit more interesting to talk about than goalkeepers when it comes to just variation in types of players. Yeah, well, you've got a weak imagination, so that's... <laughs> Great. I'm sure you like the butterfly stance over yeah, like the, the upright yeah, or whatever. Exactly. Um Don't so know what that is. Hockey reference. Thank you. Wow. <laughs> ding ding ding. Um we were born in Minnesota. Anyway. Yeah. Uh so Jake, you looked at the midfield. We'll talk about forwards, yes. uh, which I covered next week, just because we still got a couple weeks before this expansion draft anyway. So looking at the midfield, which we'll define as central players, so sixes, eights, and tens. Only sixes, eights, and tens in my book, am I right? And we are going to look over. So, again, we've gone over every team's roster. Oh, so no wingers, right. No wingers. Sorry, okay. Those will be forwards. We're going uh, Alex Schufer-Decker. Jeff would have nobody to write about. That's actually true. We had, had like, a a ceremonial passing of the rights to write about Jose Villarreal between Jake and I at one point. Um, So looking in the center of the pitch, what are the kind of things that you're looking for with a midfield in the expansion draft? One of the biggest things that I thought about when looking at this is that MLS midfielders changed a lot last year uh, with the emergence of TAM. We're now seeing teams bring players, whether they're Canadian, American, or from other parts of the world, in that make more than the DP threshold salary but aren't DPs. Uh, And that, I think, has had... A big impact in sort of this gulf in quality between players in the midfield from past expansion drafts like Jack Jewsbury, Brian Carroll, those types of players. The sort of workhorse in the midfield that teams have and players that we're watching today who are making a, a difference in MLS midfield. So uh, I wouldn't go out and spend two or three picks in your expansion draft on midfielders. I don't think that there is that level of talent available uh, if Victor Uloa is available from FC Dallas and you have the first pick and you're not taking him, even if Ryan Mare is available, I think you're crazy. Uh, so a lot of what I focused on was 
players in their mid to younger 20s who probably are stuck behind a couple of international players playing in front of them uh, that have the chance, sort of like what we saw with Minnesota bringing Ben Spees in this year. Uh, it's sort of a lowish risk, high reward player. Uh, one player who I'd highlight is Harry Ship in Montreal, who for whatever reason, uh, digging up a little bit about his trade from Chicago, uh, there's a, an awesome quote from his mom in the article announcing the trade that she, the next morning, called the Chicago Fire front office and demanded a refund for her season tickets. She yeah. was so shocked and mad. <laughs> they uh, had season tickets like <laughs> since the beginning, too. Yeah, it's incredible. <laughs> um, and so he's in Montreal. He's played, I think, 20-something games this season. Uh, can play centrally, does play wide. Uh, but he was the cornerstone of Chicago Fire's future until their annual rebuilding project. Uh, and now he's in Montreal not playing. And if if you can pick him up for about $130,000 a year, I think that's a really good look for an expansion team. So then do you see him? I mean, obviously he's uh, a number 10 for this article's purposes, and he's certainly a midfielder. Yes. Uh, you know, it's not a question. But is he someone that you also think could have a little bit of ability on the wing? Oh, for sure. And that's probably something else you're looking for in these expansion draft picks is uh, people who can do multiple things. Uh, somebody like Jeb Brovsky, who can play right back, can play central midfield, and is just somebody who's going to work hard for the team. That's the kind of player I think you're looking for in the midfield. But I, I do think that Harry Ship needs to be a little bit more of... He's not so much a um, jack-of-all-trades as... as Jeb in that no um, definitely that not Harry needs to needs to have some of some of the creative yes onus put on put on him and do sure. you have any others you want to yeah uh, okay. th- so there's this sort of other so Harry Ship is sort of uh, representative of this group of midfielders who are stuck for some reason or another uh, but have performed well there's also a number of players who are young players who've just bounced around uh, maybe have suffered injuries. One in particular who I would like to see Minnesota at least take a look at, whether it's through the expansion draft or something else, is Mark Pelosi. Uh, He's with San Jose right now. He had a great U-17 World Cup, went to Liverpool, got hurt, came back to the U.S., uh, and now he plays in a Dom Kinnear team, so he's never going to see the field since he's under the age of 28. Uh, So he was out all of last year with knee injuries and other leg injuries, uh, and dare I say, it's sort of a Tommy McNamara situation. You find a player Buzzword. missed some drink, missed some time, uh, but still has that promise, is young enough that they can recover and come back full strength, uh, and on a really team-friendly contract. Didn't they find... Tom, but the difference is that Tommy McNamara was found drunk on a, like... Uh, box car freight vessel <laughs> yeah. that showed up into town he didn't come with a draft is this another one of like your erotic dreams no mac the knife he just has a, an amazing origin story uh let's move on to some some twitter questions here Alice, do you have any other thoughts about the no 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 we should we should go to go okay. to twitter twitter questions uh from michael carney at carney and in indy uh carney with an e in the middle of the n and the y where does this season rank for Minnesota Gophers women's soccer after the Big Ten title, but a knockout in the first round of NCAA? Uh, pass fail. Pass fail. Yeah. I mean, well, it's one of their best seasons pass. ever. It's been it's been a while um, yeah, since they've had season. This the winning the the Big Ten uh, is great. I mean, they lost on PKs. That kind of crap happens. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's a tournament for you. Uh, next two questions are regarding ProRel. So, Jake, if you would do the honors of reading the two tweets, Wes and I will give our deep thoughts on ProRel. From Nippoon, uh, what are the three, the top three things needed to make ProRel a reality in the next ten years? This spinoff of the Harry Potter franchise jumps back in time to explore the wizarding world of 1926 New York, which is being threatened by the mystical acts of destruction of a group of extreme nomadges the American term for muggles. Author, author Newt Scamander arrives in the city as part of a global study of fantastic beasts, but he gets caught up in this conflict when some of the magical creatures in his care are accidentally released. And from Colin O'Donnell, if Deloitte wrote their pro summary as a BuzzFeed column, 
A, would it be better? B, which argument would blow your mind? Before the Seavers family leave for a family vacation to San Francisco, they drop off their pets, Chance, an adventurous American bulldog voiced by Michael J. Fox, Shadow, a wise golden retriever, and Sassy, a cautious cat, at a friend's ranch. But when the animals start to worry that they've been left for good, the three embark together on a treacherous and thrilling journey to find their way back home through the California wilderness. I don't even get the reference of that. It's Homeward Bound. That is the plot of Homeward Bound. I don't get how it relates to Pro-Rel. How doesn't it relate to oh, Pro-Rel? Okay, all right. yeah, They've yeah, got yeah. to find their way home to their roots. <laughs> In 1898, um, England. Th- that's basically it. I mean, my my joke to Nipun is is simply that I, there's there's nothing you can make it reality in ten years. I mean, if you can get a fucking unicorn, you can make pro rel reality in ten years. But and I guess to answer Colin's question, what would blow my mind the most? Which argument would be Michael J. Fox voicing a pit bull or a bulldog? I think that'd be pretty mind blowing if you ask me. Uh, and then the last question, which is an actual question for us to an- that we will actually answer. Is from Dan X. X. Oh, I get my redemption, don't I? Mixolydian45. There we go. I've said it right this time. If you could design <laughs> Minnesota United's inaugural MLS kits, what would they look like and who would be the sponsor? Jake? I'll tell you what they wouldn't look like, which is what I think they are right now, is a black t-shirt from a Hanes pack with a screen, like, iron-on transfer crest that's sort of crooked on each t-shirt a little bit. And, <laughs> and then, so the, you don't like the black and gray, huh? No, uh, well, I just, I'd like to see a kit, like a real one. Yeah. Maybe, you know, before people spend a lot of money at Christmas. Well, they, these won't be available before Christmas. I know. And um, I'm just going to be honest. From what I hear, don't get, get your hopes up for this first season. Maybe second season, they can get something more custom. But, but in fairness, I mean, both Orlando and New York City had... Base color, I mean, with with I mean the crest obviously, and with the sponsor, yeah. But there wasn't any like intricate sporting Kansas City hoops or diamonds yeah. or whatever else they've rolled out. It wasn't the Oregon Ducks, you know, with a different one every week. It was just here's what your team's main color is. Here's who your sponsor is. Yeah, go play ball. I also don't know if there's going to be a sponsor. Yeah, Atlanta United have have a sponsor. Um, I, I think I. I've not been able to double check this, but uh, I think that they missed the opportunity. If if they wanted Adidas to put the sponsor on, uh, they missed that deadline. So now, if they sold it this week, they would have to, I think, post production iron iron that stuff on or do not iron on. But they, um, so. I don't know if something's coming. I don't really care about the sponsor as long as it does. It doesn't look stupid. I don't know. I I also don't really obsess over the, these things. Like I do care how things look, but I I the whole great part about that is there are great people who are great designers, and I want them to impress me. Like I had opinions on how I thought the rebrand should go. Then people who are professionals did something that was better than what I imagined. And I was like, great, yeah, good. That's right. what you do for a living. You should be better than me. It doesn't happen all the time, like when uh, Orlando City got their new cruise line logo. Um, but yeah, I don't really have opinions on this. I would just like the wing to stay in some capacity. That's all I ask. Back on the shorts? I don't know if I... Uh, mm. ah, you said maybe some they, capacity. Maybe they just get... Um, uh, every, tramp stamps now. Ooh, every player has a yeah. or just, wing or, tramp or you stamp. could just put an iron-on tramp stamp on the yeah, on the jersey. Smart. That's a smart. I think no. I want to see players who are committed to the idea and will get a tattoo tramp stamp of a loon wing above their bottoms. That's Do what either I want. of the two of you remember the jersey? I think it was somewhere in Spain where they had the Burger King king face on the inside, so the players would pull it up over their heads, and it was just no, no, so, what. We need a loon face printed on the inside of our jerseys so that when our players score, they can become wow, foot foot. Become foot foot or PK or foot foot. Depending on your yeah. language of origin, yeah. Um, well, we've, we've now come to the end. Uh, and I want to say thanks. Jake, where can we find you on Twitter? Thanks for having me. Uh, you can find me at Jake Reuter. Uh, Jeff. 
You they can Hughes find always. me on Twitter at Jeff Reuter. And Wes, where can the people find you and your new magic bus? MN Nice FC. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Subscribe, please, and then uh, go on iTunes and just take a minute and review it and um, review the show, say nice things or something like that. And uh, we will see you on 551. Thank you both again. Bye.